a bit carried away, Brendan. That's not like Brendan to get carried away, is it? No, not at all. What a time to be alive. Same as the go. Disposal efficiency. Hello and welcome to Attention to Detail, the podcast for D's fans, by D's fans, as we jump on this roller coaster ride that is barracking for the Melbourne Football Club. My name is Tim. I'm joined by Simo here as always, and it's actually a very special episode today. We are joined by Quinn and Marcus from the Pressure Point podcast. Boys, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome aboard. Tim, Simo, thanks for having us, boys. boys. Much appreciated. It's, uh, yeah, first for both of us, collaborative, a joint episode, and uh, just thought you might want to start off with telling us a little bit about your show and how you boys got your show started and what it's all about. I'll let you start this one, Marcus, and I'll jump in midway through when you start making mistakes. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, but yeah, mate, we uh, we started probably about 12 months ago now, or just over 12 months when uh, we had that break between round one and round two last year, that three-month hiatus. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was in the works for a while and um, we just, yeah, never really found the right time to do it. And then we thought, you know, why not? It's a three-month lockdown, got it started and um, out of my old room at my parents' place where I don't live anymore, we turned that into a studio and it's where, where Quinn is right now. And um yeah, and we've just been at it every week since then, and um, it's been good fun. And um, yeah, the, the inspiration, which I think a lot of people might know, with the name is Pressure Point, and from the um, the famous Brenner Favola incident, the Brownlow, oh, over ten years ago now. And um, obviously, yeah, for people that listen to our podcast, I'm a massive Carlton supporter, so um, got a lot of inspiration from there. And then, um, yeah, and then yeah, me and Quinn obviously both love our footy, and thought, why not make a podcast and talk about it every week? And I mean, that's our story, really. It's um, it's been good fun and yeah, loved every minute of it. You pretty much hit the nail on the head. I was waiting for a few gaps in the story, but you've uh, you've covered <laughs> it quite nicely there, Marcus. Well done. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. But yeah, unless you've got anything else to add, Quinn. No, that's pretty much it. Like you said, we'd been um we'd actually been talking about doing it for a while, and we just I think neither of us were sure if we're both serious about the idea of doing it, and we just sort of kept tossing the idea up and mentioning it and mentioning it, and then, like you said, once lockdown kicked in the first time round and that gap between the two um, round one and round two, we just had all the time like let's just do it, and then you know it turned out a lot of people thought podcasts are a good idea at the same time, but um it's good that you know well you know for us especially we're still going with it all, and yeah we're trying to take it as seriously as we can. Similar to yourselves, like. The idea got born out of lockdown as well too and it sort of became a bit of a venting avenue for me and, and the D's and I suppose the difference between us is that, you, I mean, you guys cover all aspects of footy and all teams whereas we're pretty one-eyed Melbourne and, and create some pretty biased content which we know that there's a, a small market for but it's uh, it certainly worked out well for this season and we're getting a fair few listeners on board and it's uh, nice to ride all the highs uh, that we're enjoying at the moment. But obviously, Simo has joined us this year and has been, yeah, an awesome addition to another teaching colleague that, well, we kind of, you know, again, met ourselves back in early teaching rounds and probably a few years, it, probably, what was it, 2017? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, similar to yourself, managed to get a few guests and stuff on board, which is really exciting. And it ends up being a bloody full-time job. <laughs> Almost, it's, it's really starting to... Yeah, trying to find that balance between that and and for myself and family time and and whatnot. But it is, it's 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 good fun. It's it's somewhere to sort of vent all your all your passion and uh, as you said, finding yeah finding an audience and finding a voice and just talking about such a fantastic game for all the people to enjoy. Absolutely, and you mate, you say that you're biased with the D's. Well, yeah, we do. We speak about AFL in general, but I tell you what, when when Carlton's not going great, which has been most most of the time, I uh. 
I almost turned it into a Carlton channel and then and Quinn the same with Richmond, you know, especially because they won the flag last year. So it's been a pretty good start for him, but uh, we certainly can make it biased from time to time as well. Simo, you got anything to add there, mate? Uh, yeah, look, to be honest, well, when you asked me to, well, actually I saw, I saw you share a few things on Facebook. I was like, I got a second. I reckon he runs this. So I actually, I, do you remember this? I actually gave you a cheeky little message and saying, do you run the podcast? And you're like, yeah, yeah. Do you want to come on for one? I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. Um, so I was like, you know what? This could be something a little bit interesting. I, I actually was listening to our first podcast um, last night, just reminiscing about the, the differences between now and then. And I tell you what, um, I was I was very structured when when I started compared to now. It's a lot more easy going. And I think uh, when the when the faith has been restored in our football club, it's a little bit easier to talk about all the uh, awesome stuff that's going on this year. I was. Certainly easy to talk about when we're going shit as well too, which we're very accustomed to, and and you know being repeatedly let down over the last few years. That's very easy to to whinge on about as well too. But yeah, this year has been especially exciting, and plenty of people tuning in to sort of yeah celebrate all the successes that we're having so far. So it is a bit of a Melbourne-based uh, episode today, and thought we'd go through a bit of a mid-season review for the side so far but boys from from a non-Melbourne supporter point of view what are you saying externally from the days at the moment have you got any thoughts on a non-supporter based opinion well, absolutely scary scary at the moment when I think about the days from where they were to where they've come at this point in the season and I remember early on I was quick to doubt to doubt you boys I was thinking oh you know that who have they beaten? They haven't beaten anybody good. And then sure enough, you knocked us off. And I thought, oh, geez, the Tigers have been rolled over by these guys. And then it just kept coming. And you guys just keep constantly showing up against good sides and getting the job done. And I thought, especially after last week, I thought, no, these guys are the real deal now. And it's just scary how quickly you've made that jump from, you know, probably the lower positions in the ladder to top the ladder now and absolutely flying. 100%. I reckon, well, from what you're saying, you know, we'll, as Melbourne sports expecting this 2019 after we had such a good year in 2018, but um, to finally let it, you know, the, the, everything's coming together sort of this year. But, you know, the weights has been worth it, although it was quite hard. But, you know, we're finally reaping the rewards now. Absolutely. I think um, Tim and I were speaking about this the other day, but what's the, what's the mentality shift been like from going into games and thinking we're going to win this or, you know, we should be winning this game? Because I know for me early on when Richmond made the switch and started actually winning games, it took me a while to sort of think, we're a good side and we can actually start winning these sorts of games. What's the mentality shift been like for you boys? Have you, have you found it's already kicked in or are you still having a lot of doubt when you head into games? Um, well, for, for me, it's maturity for, from the days. Um, we could see it with, you know, our best players are starting to get, you know, the 100, 150 games under their belt. And now they're, you know, now we can actually go to games or watch games and have full faith in the side, um, both from a defensive and offensive standpoint. Um, it's just been, yeah, really good to see. Um, making that shift, I suppose, because, you know, with a quite a young side, I mean, I think we kind of peaked and we over over succeeded, to be honest, in 2018. And none of us really thought, you know, D's would come flying out in that year. So, you know, to, to see that those players continue to develop now and start, you know, as I said, getting 100, 150 games under their belt, we can, uh, yeah, we can see that maturity really developing. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what do you think's been your... I mean, you, you, what, what's impressed you the most? I know a lot of people talk about your, your defensive game, like your, your defense is so solid, nothing gets pastures. But does it come down to that? Or like, what, what's impressed you the most and what's made you the team that you are now? 
just the consistency. I don't think it's something that Melbourne fans have seen for a long, long time. So sort of talked about the mentality of going to watch a game or even whether you're going into the ground or whether you're watching it from home. Unfortunately, all Melbourne supporters will have that that dread of going in to a game, say, for instance, against a bottom four side. And in previous years, we've known that it's, oh, shit, this is a danger game. Like, I hate to say, you know, Marcus Carlton, but like, it's that's a perfect example where once in years gone by, well, we've certainly gone in and, you know, Carlton has sort of been cellar dwelling a little bit and we sort of go in being those games that we should be expected to win. And we were more than likely coughing it up. So from that to see, I think this year, just consistent footy from us, you know, this so-called brand of footy that Goody's been preaching for like three years to be building and building and building. And I think Goody's pretty good at using a lot of this terminology. It seems like a bit robotic in some of his press conferences. I don't know if you've seen, like, if you watch them, if you watch one, you've almost seen them all in terms of all the words that he uses. But it's sort of that build-up from there has now started to click in about, you know, culture and rewriting the narrative. And and this year, I think Kate Ruffy sort of talked about this the other the other day or the other week when we talked to her about everything just seems to be clicking. So, like, as fans, you get impatient when there's a lot of talk and you don't see a lot of it being backed up up on the field or, you know, there's stuff going on behind the scenes. But this year, I think, you know, we've managed to go week in, week out. We've been tested multiple times. Like, Sydney game was a fantastic game where that was something that we got taken out of our comfort zone. We didn't play the style of footy that we had been playing those first four or five rounds. Uh, you know, it was completely scrappy, but we were able to wheel the ball over the line and, and get the win there. And I think from that on as well too, you're going to see teams that are trying to target our game style, but we've still managed to be able to respond, make situational changes at half time with coaching, which has been something I don't think we've had in the last few years as well too. So the balance, everything just seems to be clicking at the moment. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of talk about selflessness and, you know, each player executing their role. And I think, you know, Quinn Richmond's been quoted a lot in terms of basing it upon some of the model that a lot of the talk that came out of that, especially after the first couple of premierships about each player understanding what their role is in the team. And I think that's really evident now where you look at your different structures around the forward half and the back half of the game and each player you know, they're not after 30 touches. They're, you know, you got your Spargos, your Neil Bullens, that's creating havoc forward pressure up there with Cozzy. You got your players in the back line, you know, Hibbert doing a number of run with roles, you know, that's going kind of slightly unnoticed as well, too. So everything just seems to be coming together at the moment at the right time. And it's, yeah, really rewarding. And from an outsider's point of view as well, I think the change over the last couple of years with blokes such as Petrarca and, you know, Clary and even, um, uh, Brayshaw as well. Some of the blokes like that seemed seemed like they were playing in the past for almost personal gain, if that makes any if that makes sense. So sort of you know whether that be best and fairest or all Australian accolades. And I'm not saying that they were bad players. Obviously the superstars, but now it just seems like everybody, like you said, is playing their role. They're all gelling so well together. And coincidentally, out of that, you'll probably have five or six blokes this year that'll push for all Australian or you know yeah be up there in Brownlow contention. So it's almost funny how it works out when you start playing more for the team. These almost individual accolades seem to you know come as well. Yeah, definitely. I think Oliver was a good one that uh, I think he mentioned it the other week uh, in an interview. He said how to chat to Goody in the off season, and I think Clary is probably somebody that had been targeted for that a little bit, like somebody that you know could accumulate the ball, accumulate possessions. In fact, have been damaging with them. Maybe not so much, but you can see now. I mean, he's had some absolute standout games where he's not just 
you know, getting in and out, getting the ball in and out of the contest, but actually pushing forward, hitting the scoreboard a little bit, um, and even taking some defensive marks. Like, you can think about the whole team defense as well, too. Like, to see him running both ways and the defense not just seen as a back six, it's it's all 18 blokes that are on the field at the time. You know, I think that he's somebody that's really stood up as well and, and being able to, yeah, accept that maybe, you know, in the past he might, his role has changed or his mentality of how he's approaching his role within the within the club has certainly changed and everybody on the side is definitely reaping the rewards for it. Simo, you got anything to add there? It's like, I mean, I said it before, restoring the faith and I think just a lot of buy-in from players. Um, you know, you, you touch on, you know, your Brayshaws, your Petrarchas, your, your Clayton Olivers. It'll be interesting to see when um, Viney comes back to, to, to see where he sort of fits into this now too because... I mean, for when he was in the side at the start of the season, we could see the selflessness there. Um, but it'd be really interesting having him being out for so long and how long, how well, how quickly he readjusts to how we're going would be, yeah, really, really interesting to see. Um, but yeah, having buy-in um, from from the whole team is, um, yeah, it's a reason why we're eleven and one. Now that buy-in, do you guys think that that's probably the biggest difference when comparing your 2018 season to this year? Obviously, 2018 was impressive all the way through. And then, you know, we know it did drop after that a little bit. But do you think this year's buy-in is um, the, the main difference between 2018 and 2021? Definitely, definitely. I think when in 2018, I think, as I said before, you know, we we sort of, you know, probably peaked. We peaked when we probably were still developing um, things just sort of fell into place quite well that year. Um, but compared to that year and this year, um, I think just on a defensive probably standpoint, we're more balanced. Um, I, 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 to be honest, in 2018, we had, yeah, we had high scoring games, but you know, that was back when the, the 666 rule was not apparent. And we, you know, we, we had that, those players coming off the back of the square. We sort of, you know, did something outside the box and it, you know, made things really hard for other teams to sort of conquer that. Um, and you saw with the, sh- the shift when 666 happened, happened, you saw, you know, our drop 2019-2020 as opposed to to now, I think just more so just, you know, buying into a system, which is something that I think had to take time because obviously we had to adjust um, to, to the rule changes and everything. And having having a fit lever in May is a definite big, um, big up for us too. Yeah, just just to go on with that, I sort of it was interesting to go over just scale the lists from 2018 to 2021 and just see some of the personnel changes both you know on the field and behind the coaches box as well too. So 2018, I was looking just at some key contributors that that played for a majority of that season. So you got Jordan Lewis that played 24 games. Obviously, was brought to the club, um, you know, in that kind of in those circumstances where you know, wanted to find another home where he could potentially have some success with another club. And, and he did wonders for for our club with his, with the leadership and, and also hung around at the club afterwards. But you've also got Hogan, who played 20 games, missed the final series, but kicked 50 goals. So there's, there's 50 goals there that we didn't, I suppose we don't have from that same person there. You've got Dom Tyson that played 17 games. That was Lever's first game sorry, first season with the club and obviously did his ACL that year. So there's no no fit lever there. A back line sort of consisted, you know, we had Sam Frost as well. We had no no May at that stage. He had players like Oscar McDonald played 25 games. We had Jeffy Garlett still on the list. We had Bernie Vince who still played a fair bit of the season towards the end of his career, Cam Pedersen. So a lot of those players that aren't with the team at the moment, I know Simo talked about the core. The core remains relatively the same right now. So there's a lot that core of players that would have had 
50, 60 games experience now have 100, 120, 150 games. And then, you know, talk about premiership window and that the peak athlete age, you know, talking about that 24 to 27 range where they're really at the peak of their powers. This is the time now. So you're looking at 2021 where we've got other players. So as we said, fit a fit Jake Lieber, who's now got a, a couple of seasons under his belt now and, and is looking in the best form that he's been since he's arrived at the club. You've got Stephen May, who's definitely all Australian contender. You're looking at our top three draft picks from 2019. To, amazing that they've just managed to you know jump straight in and they've barely missed a beat since. So you, your Rivers, your Pickett and your Jackson, you've got addressing the needs that we had on the wing. So with Ed Langdon, who's been playing outstanding, uh, Tomo came across from GWS, unfortunately, yeah, not playing at the moment. And, and then some, you know, other younger developing players, you know, your Tom Sparrows, your James Jordans, and then even, I mean, Benny Brown obviously hasn't had much of an impact yet, but it was interesting looking at those figures that complement, I think, the areas that we needed to address. And then you've got coaches such as, you know, Adam Uze, Williams, and Alan Richardson, who I know is not behind the coach's box at the moment. He's, I think, head of football or whatever it is at the moment, but... Those little things that they've now identified as weaknesses over the last couple of years have managed to now sort of all fit into place. And I think that personnel, they've got the balance and the mix right. And you can kind of see, I think you said, Quinn, to me the other day, there's no there's no holes in the club at the moment. We can't see any holes on the list. And the depth obviously is proving to be, uh, yeah, effective. And, you know, you've got blokes that can't get a game and bit of a debate on what our forward line is going to look like come September as well too, what our most effective forward line is going to look like. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, when you've got someone like Ben Brown, who we know what he can do in front of goals, struggling to get a game at the moment, you know that your side's shaping up pretty well and you can have someone like him trying to fight his way back into the side. One person I did want to ask about, because every time I see him get the footy, I just can't help but get excited. And that's Cozzy Pickett. The things that this man can do with the football at such a young age are, are unbelievable. Do you guys... Is it the same as me for you guys? When you see him get the ball, do you think something special is about to happen here? Oh, gee, I tell you what, it's 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 sort of like watching Cyril. I reckon back in the day, it's it's a hard, it's a big one. And I know Cozzy in his little interview says he watches Cyrilioli's um, highlights and everything, and you can see his game developing like Cyril's did. Um, you know, even like the little dashes along the wing, like here and there, and just taking blokes on. It's just. You know, it's something that we haven't obviously we haven't had since. I mean, Jeff Garlett had little glimpses, but then you know, going back to the flash days of Aaron Davy, you know, it's he, I had thirty six on my back um, as a young young kid watching Aaron Davy, um, and you know, if it was in the same boat, you know, that thirty six runs pretty close to me, and I always always love seeing a thirty six run around for the D's, and to see that continue in Cozzy Pickett, it's uh it's pretty amazing to see, knowing that it's not only just from a Melbourne. Um, you know, by or my point of view, but, you know, seeing it from supporters as well and seeing someone that, you know, oh, he plays for Melbourne, you know, it's exciting to watch because, you know, when was the last time we had someone that was bloody exciting to watch? He's just such an intelligent footballer for such a young age as well too. He's not just, um, you know, he's not one-dimensional. He's not just looking for the goals every time. He's team first, always tries to hit up the, you know, make the right play, hit up the right player in the forward line, just trying to do everything to keep the ball in play. And yeah, there's some fancy footwork that he goes along with it. But you can just feel the crowd, the buzz that it generates every time he gets near the ball. Like we're sort of saying on our our episode this week against the Brisbane game, I mean, he only had, didn't have to touch the ball that many times. I think he had it nine times. 
kick three goals three, but it's a real theme of this year of players having such a huge impact without actually having to touch the ball too much. And just, you can see blokes are absolutely shitting themselves when he's come and charge it. You see some of the draft, uh, some of the draft footage before he got drafted about just how much he wanted to, uh, how much he loves to tackle. It's the D's, yeah, did an absolute number in that draft. And I think all credit to him for making that trade with North Melbourne for the future pick and, and really identifying somebody that they knew would fit into our system. And I think if you were any other team that selected in and around that pick that year, you'd be scratching your head and thinking, why on earth wasn't he picked earlier? Yeah. I think you guys have the, as you said before, like that perfect balance. Um, there's no holes in your team. You almost, it's almost like you guys are ready to go. And um, I've been speaking to, I've got a few, I've got actually a lot of Melbourne mates and which is, which is interesting. And they're, they're up and about at the moment. And they, they reckon like, is it, is it easier to be where you are now, like on top of the ladder, 10 and one or whatever you are like, yeah, with only one loss or would you prefer to be yeah, fourth or fifth and then make that charge towards the end? Like, it's almost like, it's like the expectations. So high. I know like you're so excited that you're on top and there's a possible premiership, but does that almost work against you? That's a, it's an interesting point because you can only beat who comes out against you every week. So, you know, as a, as a Melbourne sport, I mean, you can never look too far ahead considering what's happened in the past. Um, so, yeah, one week at a time for us. And I think, you know, you, you say, you know, would you rather be back in the pecking order and working your way up? Like, obviously, that happened in in uh, 2018. But, um, you know, as, as we sort of did occasionally in that year, we did drop games where we probably should have won. Um, but, you know, I think this year, like, as I, as I just said, you can only beat what's in front of you. So... Um, you know, we just roll with the punches. I think seeing it every week and we're not looking too far ahead. I mean, it's it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, we'll win the flag. We're sitting 11 and 1. But, you know, being a realist, um, we want to be performing at the peak of our powers, you know, come finals time. Yeah, and I think, you know, we mentioned with Fitzy last week about how much it'd be so much better if this, you know, we're currently at round 20 and, and rolling into September with this sort of same form. But, realization of that is that we're not and i think we just have to manage our expectations and just make sure that yeah they're doing all the right things i think they're all taking the right mentality about that we're only halfway through the season they haven't achieved anything yet and you know players have come out and said they they hate losing they don't want to lose so it's i think that the headspace and the message that's being sort of promoted by the coaching group and the club and they know that it's not one in rounds 10 or 11 or 12 it's it's one in September, and I think that all the players would understand that, you know, the job's only half done. And, yeah, just looking at who's ahead, respecting each opposition for who they are and what rocks up on the field each week, they're the only things that they can control at this stage. So, yeah, hard to manage expectations, but far out to knock off the grand finalists and, you know, the top four contenders is pretty exciting in terms of seeing as how we've done it as well too. But just important that we, you know, keep that going and that consistency continues to roll on. And you touched on it just before as well when you said that you really seem to be enjoying the wins. And that's the biggest thing I've noticed from an external point of view is that after every game, it doesn't seem like the wins are getting to the boys' heads. You just seem so focused on, all right, we got the win, enjoy it tonight, but, you know, let's move on the next week type thing. And I don't know, I know in 2018 when Richmond had a really good run through the home and away season, obviously dropped out in the prelim that year, but we won most of our games. We were just coming off a flag. So it was almost like we thought, it's almost like we got a bit carried away that year and we thought it's just all going to fall in our hands. Whereas I feel like the difference between that and what you guys are doing this year is you're just enjoying them so much more and you, cause you know how hard they are to get to win games these days and you're just taking it all on board that way. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I think like it'd be really cool to you know find your grasp of this, uh, Quinn, because you know you look at your years, 2017, um, 2019, those two flag years. You guys, you guys looked like everyone wrote, wrote, wrote read you off because I mean you started the season pretty poorly, but then obviously a form that's pushed you into you know really coming home strong. Like I mean, it's it's such a com- complete different polar opposite to what we're going through now. It'd be yeah, really interesting to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, obviously it's been well documented that Richmond seemed to leave their runs a little bit late in the year. And I mean, it's worked for us, so I can't complain with that. Um, although I do like the early dominance that I'm seeing from you guys, because I think it just gives the players a lot more confidence going forward. I mean, you can't, I hate relying on the fact that we might have that run late. Like even this year, we've had a pretty poor start and people keep saying to me, oh, but it's Richmond, you know, you guys will have a late run. But you don't want to hang your hat on that because that's not always going to happen and you can't leave it too late. such a fine line. Because I think what you guys are doing is you're building enough confidence within the playing group to say, we've knocked off Geelong, we've knocked off Richmond, we've knocked off um, Brisbane, you know, the Bulldogs. You've knocked off everybody that there is to knock off on the top of the ladder. Um, it's going to be giving you guys confidence going into, um, going. you know, we're not near finals yet, but you know, after the buy, it's it, finals will come so quickly and the, all these wins will start to build a lot of confidence in you boys, I'd imagine. The biggest thing for me is, well, obviously we're on the road at the moment, but it'd be really awesome to see, especially this year, our maturity really stand up in those games. You know, we've got Port Adelaide and West Coast over at their grounds um, to finish the year off. So it'd be really good to, you know, take those scalps there to really, you know, put our foot down again because I think they're the only two teams we haven't beaten in the top eight. Um, obviously, we haven't played them yet, but... You know, it'd be really, really awesome to see us flex our muscles against those two teams. Yeah, I feel like the Port Port Adelaide over in Adelaide one is the big one for me. I mean, every time I know Richmond go over there, I'm nervous the whole the whole week building up to it just because it's such a hostile crowd. The environment over there is completely different. So especially that late in the year, that'll be such a great test for you boys head before just before you head in the finals. And like you said, if you can get a scalp there, then there'll be so much confidence in the playing group moving into finals. And if, I mean, I'd be very, very surprised if you guys don't get a top two finish this year, you know, let alone top four. So you're going to secure that double chance more than likely at this stage. And who knows, you know, you win round one straight into the prelim. It's just the, ob- the opportunities are endless if, you know, especially with that kind of confidence. Mate, just, just listening to you speak then, just, I, I just keep shaking my head because like, I keep thinking like, we are Melbourne are actually 11 and one. Like when the hell have I have gone anywhere near to experiencing this in my 26 years of living? Like, the fact that it, it's just like a weird sensation to know that we are like Melbourne are actually the team to beat, which is yeah a really weird situation considering it's mid season. But God, I just hope that we just keep pushing along. It's just one of those things where I just you know I mean I've got complete faith in them because I mean they've shown it all year with a second half specialist. I don't think you know you, you look at the stats how many second halves have we lost for the year? Probably maybe one against the Crows potentially. Um, but you know apart from that, it's you know, a team that's really built on, you know, belief and that belief which goes across to the four quarters with, it, you know, having Burjo on our side and being able to build that real strong fitness base but also have trust in our system. Yeah, I think trying to wrap your head around the fact that you guys are a very good team is the thing that, well, for me anyway, it took me the longest to get used to is, you know, heading into games and everyone going, Richmond are the clear favourites here. And I'm thinking, oh, really? Like the Tigers? You know, we're, we're garbage. But it's um, it takes a while to get used to. But, yeah, like, you know, obviously lap it up while it's there because it's such an amazing feeling. When you're talking about the Port Adelaide game, Quinn, I was just comparing some of the 2018 and 2021 stuff and thinking about the game that we played over in Port Adelaide 2018. So we'd just come off the bye. We'd lost to 
Lost to Collingwood in the Queen's birthday game, but we were sitting eight and four after the bye and, and looking looking pretty good. And Port Adelaide, I think, might have been top at the time or top two. I'm trying to remember where it was. But I remember it was over in Adelaide and we just absolutely failed to turn up. I remember watching it at a mate's place, having a few beers, and we were so absolutely furious about <laughs> how, you know, like this whole hype and expectation, I think. Not that I'm foreseeing any parallels to that for this season, but I think that was a really big talking point about... Not so much... I mean, talking about the games that we're expected to win, but games that we expected to turn up and actually compete against. And I know that after that game, I think Glenn Bartlett came out and gave us huge whack publicly. You know, our president at the time. It's not too often that your president of your club comes out and, and sort of, yeah, gives you a bit of a public whack about, you know, how you sort of performed on the field so that was a really big thing but i think that there's no danger of that happening this time but you're exactly right they, they are huge tests over in the west and and again we talk about famous wins over in the west the before the prelim you know about a month earlier we had this absolutely unforgettable victory over in west coast in round 21 uh where t-mac kicked that goal out of the goal square sort of half slung around still no, we'll never ever forget that and I'm very grateful I didn't buy tickets to the prelim. I was very close to to spending about two grand on flights over there. It was to go and watch the prelim and, and far out. I'm very glad that I didn't, but <laughs> would have been a pretty sour trip on the way home. Just quickly touching on um, the president, you said gave the team a bit of a clip publicly. Personally, I don't mind that because it shows that not a, it shows that you know sort of ability to not just be the nice guy with the club and sort of show that a firm position and sort of take a stance like that. And I know Marcus has been talking to me a bit about this at Carlton. He's been saying there's too many nice guys and everyone's trying to be too nice to each other. Are you a fan of the president coming out and giving the club a bit of a clip publicly? Or do you, do you think that's something like in terms of revving the team up, or do you think that's something that should probably be kept in house? And, you know, obviously it's not great to see from a fan's perspective because you want to be doing better than that, but do, do you mind that? Or is that something you prefer to yeah keep in house? Um, probably looking back at it now, uh, you know, in hindsight, I don't don't mind it. I think I think it was given a bit of grief at the time, and I think you know, in the media, it probably wasn't really well received, or it wasn't a good image. Um, but maybe I don't know. Maybe that was just from the club's history and in our season of of somewhat success at that stage. Even you know, that was a, a hiccup in in what was a relatively successful season to that point. I suppose supporters and maybe outside and external media looking in and saying, well, I don't know, is that a good look? You know, is that the support that they're giving? But I think you're right in terms of, you know, the passion is there. They only want what's best for the club and what's best for the supporters. So you can understand that maybe that's lighting a bit of a fire underneath them. But we should have had plenty of that after um, ballsing up the 2017 round 22 game against Collingwood and, um, and yeah, missing out on the finals there. So... I don't think that there was, uh, yeah, any other reason for that. But no, I think looking back to it, I probably don't mind it. But I think at the time, it probably wasn't well received by uh, by fans. And, and I don't know. It'd be interesting to know what the players would have felt, you know, whether that's something that gets addressed in the, in the rooms like straight after the game or, you know, the fact that it got leaked out. Well, the, the fact that it was a public statement, sorry, to the media, it'd be interesting to know what players would have felt because you know that coaches singling out players in press conferences about things that they did wrong was sort of a bit of a no-no like i think that happened a couple of times a few years ago and they got criticized for it so i guess it's it's that balance of of where does that feedback lie where where's the right place for that i've know, Simo. what do you think mate i mean i do i do love a good spray you know like it depends like it depends on what or how you perceive it i mean different people are different 
obviously to a degree it kind of worked, but I think when well this was definitely definitely said when Simon Goodwin took over the reins, like he said we wanted to be you know hard to beat and like real tough. So for us not to be able to show that, that's obviously something or the reason why something was so publicly um, brought out and brought to people's attention because. You know, we weren't, that was our label, but we didn't, um, we weren't able to showcase that. So, you know, if we weren't able to showcase that label, you know, like, what are, what are we? So I suppose that's why that, that question was posed to us. And I think we responded okay with it, but yeah, it's interesting. What about you, Marcus? Like anything about talking about Carlton and if that's the sort of thing that, especially, you know, at the moment, I can't imagine you'd be too happy with, with your boys and, and the fact that, you know, expectations have been pretty high, especially with Teague having that sort of the Teague train whole movement and and then everything hasn't really come to fruition since then. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. I think I think that's what made Carlton such a successful team over the years is that that ruthlessness, that savageness, and um, a culture where people were were made accountable for things and um, and weren't afraid to have that you know publicly come out and, and state what's wrong. So, um, and yeah, as Quinn said before, I just think Carlton have got too many nice guys at the club at the moment. There's not a lot of people that demand respect there. And um, and I think this external review that's happening at the moment is exactly what needs to happen. And I'm glad they brought it forward. Uh, it was meant to happen at the end of the season and they brought it to now. So um, yeah, I, I'm all for that. Um, and just holding players and officials to account really Um and yeah, I mean, like, as, as you said, with you guys, you know, you had two years there in, in the wilderness after 2018 and, um, you know, some hard truths need to be said. And, um, and I think that's, that's the way to go. Otherwise you're just going to keep living in meteor mediocrity if you keep accepting it and, um, accepting honorable losses. So, um, yeah, as a Carlton fan, I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll take anything, anything that's going to make the club better. That's for sure. Well, do you, you saw when when the D's it was it uh, back back in 20, 2012, where we took on J- Jack Rhymes and Jack Trengover's coach as captain, sorry as co-captains. Do you see like if if Carlton were to go down the same path as Sam Walsh, do you think you guys would have the same you know drop as us, or do you reckon it will actually really benefit the club? Well, I think Sam Walsh is uh, is is uh, is a very unique player. I don't. He's a once in a lifetime kind of player. He is. Um, I think he'd, he'd be perfect in the role, but. Personally, for me, I think um, a player like Jacob Werdering would probably be slightly ahead of him in terms of that captaincy role. Um, apparently around the club, he's, he's regarded as one of the best leaders there. Um, I think Sam Walsh, yes, he's a, he's a superstar and he's already acts like a leader, but geez, he's only played 50 games. Um, so it's it's a pretty big responsibility and especially at a, at a club like Carlton, that's, that's huge and um, has a lot of fans and a lot of angry fans, especially with the way we've been going. So um, I think Wittering would be the ideal one. But in terms of um, where we're, I think we're at different, like because with our list, list demographic, we're, we're almost, we're ready to go in terms of the age group and, and the kind of players that we've got in there. So um, that's why it's a lot more frustrating. So I think if someone like Walsh Wittering was captain, I think it would be perfectly fine. And, and it might even make, you know, a player like Cripps fly better and takes a bit of pressure off him. I guess there always is that danger of picking a captain that's too young and putting that pressure on them too early. I know, you know, going back to Carlton again, Cripps was given the captaincy role quite early. And even with my boys, Richmond, Cotchman was captain at quite a young age as well. And he did have a probably a drop for one or two seasons there where he wasn't quite himself. So there is always that danger of doing that. And that's why I really like what Melbourne have done in terms of having Max Gorn as the captain. Like he's such a seasoned, he's, you know, it's hard, weird to call him a veteran because I, I don't, it feels like he hasn't been around that long, but he has. He's been around a surprisingly long time and he just seems to lead the troops really well. He must be so happy with what he's been providing since given that captaincy role. 
mate, the, the fact that you've got such a cultural figure as your captain makes things, I don't know, it's just like, I think him as a person represents a club really well. Um, and I think everyone, by seeing him as a, as a leader, like you look at his growth compared to when he was drafted to now, like you think he was never going to be that player. But for a bloke that's worked that hard, you know, it can rub off a lot on um, our younger blokes in the club. So, um, yeah, being able to see, you know, his progression, you know, is a real testimony to our to our club at the moment and where we've come from. Um, so, yeah, to, to, see, to see that general growth across the whole togetherness of our club is... Yeah, something that's really, really good to see. Sorry, I was going to say. Um, I was going to say we've been obviously talking about the uh, the differences between eighteen and twenty one being two very similar seasons in terms of just sort of jump coming out of nowhere almost and having really successful seasons. But what you guys are probably around more Melbourne circles, and I'm sure Marcus and I are. Well, I know Marcus has a few Melbourne mates. But what's the general vibe and consensus from you know the Melbourne circles you guys would be a part of? Is, is everyone feeling pretty similar at the moment, or pretty up and about? Um, I actually, well, being in Melbourne supporter groups, like you saw how quickly people would jump ship when we're down. Um, so it's, it's actually been really, really interesting. I know my, uh, my partner's, my partner's dad was actually, he actually made a, a Facebook status saying, you know, is there any ski, is there any ski season tickets still available? Because yeah, he, he completely lost faith in us in our first half. And I was like, I, I just commented, I just commented on it saying interesting because, like obviously, well, he's, he's he's you know he's only sixty five, so he's seen Melbourne just be you know mediocre for so many years, and he's seen this happen before. Um, but I don't know. It's in in myself. Like I mean, I'm very you know I'm a very passionate supporter with the D's, but I'm also realistic. So um, you know, I, I'm always I've always got faith in them. Even even in our darkest years, I was like, oh bugger, I'll still go. I'm still going to support. Like even as a young tacker, I'd be waving the floggers, having a bit of fun with it. Even though we're getting done by 10 goals, I was like, bugger it. I'm having a bit of fun. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, seeing, seeing Melbourne supporters comment like that, I'm like, you know, think about now. We're, 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 what were we? Well, 10 and 1 before the win happened. Um, you think what we've done so far during the year. I mean, why can't you see that happening against even the best sides? Um, which, obviously, we saw it in the second half. But, you know, being able to make that switch um, you know, it shows us a lot. Oh, to me, it shows a lot of faith. So, um, but to go with that, I think um, the, the realistic, Mel- uh, those really positive Melbourne supporters see the excitement week to week. I mean, I'm at, at school, we've got my office lady is actually a demon supporter as well. And she, you know, well, obviously we've been locked down for the last couple of weeks, but she'd be playing the Melbourne theme song before on the bell on the Monday, Monday mornings. I was like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, and you see, you see other, other kids and stuff getting around that. And, um, we've actually got some new supporters because I'm trying to trying to get a heap of Melbourne supporters in the school. So yeah, it's been good fun. It's been, yeah, I, like my circles are probably pretty small in terms of what me and Simo and, and yeah, sort of family. And I've got a couple of mates here and there, but I think between me and Simo, the, the messages that sort of fire off in, in that and, and then between my brother and my old man and my dad's still one of those guys that hasn't quite recovered from the 88 final where Jim Stein's cost a 50-meter penalty. So, you know, as much as I love him, he's you know he can't watch a fourth quarter if it's within 15 points. If there's three minutes to go and he's and we're 30 points up, he's still not satisfied until the siren's gone. But I think, yeah, personally, I think I think surprised at myself, and I think other people sort of said it in previous years where I've sort of been out and loud. I've actually been quite settled about it. I think this year, and I think half of it might be that I spend an hour each week talking about it online and recording it and posting it. But I think the other half of it is just. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird feeling. Like I'm 
like I am excited, but I'm not getting overexcited about it. I think about those finals in 2018 in the Geelong and Hawthorne games, and they're some of the most memorable moments of my life. Like you know, the fact of winning those games and, and feeling the buzz around the cl- around the crowd there. But I know Kate Ruffey said it the other day about she thought that at the Anzac Day Eve game, she thought that the atmosphere there and the buzz around the ground was actually more intense and more exciting than it was in 2018, which, I mean, I was there as well, and I think Simo, you were there as well, and hard hard to figure because that, that memory is so fondly held in my mind and about how loud that was, but you even see it watching on TV and just even the game up at Giant Stadium where it looked like they had a quarter of a stand filled of Demon supporters, but still how loud that was, and and yes, you got your close circles, but I think seeing them every time they pan to the members at the G, you know, before prior to this lockdown, you see how much red and blue was it was out and about getting on the train to the footy. I think you're seeing them out and about a lot more, and I think the entire vibe of of Melbourne. And I don't think it's it's not cocky and it's not arrogant. I think people are just grateful for what it is at the moment and just yeah, really just enjoying the ride, I suppose. I can definitely vouch for the noise at the uh, Anzac Day Eve game because I was there as well. And pretty early on, I knew that we weren't going to get the win against you boys, but I'm one of those nuffies that won't leave the game early. I stayed till the final siren and the whole way through, I was just, the Melbourne crowd was deafening, which is something, I mean, for me personally, I've never really experienced that before hearing Melbourne supporters so up and about. So, you know, I mean, obviously I'd rather it have been us that night, but it, it is it is good to see, you know, Melbourne supporters being able to enjoy this this success that they've been deprived of for so long. I know because I know you uh you are uh, reached out to a few to a few fans about we did. Um, what their thoughts were. What what was the general consensus from them? Yeah, so we put out a bit of a post again, sort of comparing twenty eighteen into twenty twenty one and we understand that, you know, there's no end point to twenty twenty one yet. We're sort of trying to sort of align about maybe our yeah, what our emotions are at the moment and where we see the playing side and the similarities and differences between it. So uh, we've got a couple of fan responses here. Uh, the first one we've got from Jai McLaughlin from Facebook. He said, 2018, we were all out attack and we could get scored against easily. In 2021, we're much more balanced and set up well defensively. We also stop teams getting a run on and can change players mid-game. And I know that's been something, I think we mentioned it before, about seeing situational game changes. I think early on in Goody's career, we sort of felt like that if we had plan A and there was never any plan B and it didn't seem from from the couch or from the stands that there was any changes going on throughout the game. And I think that's something that making changes when need be, like for instance, the Brisbane game, resetting at halftime and coming out again, even the Adelaide game, you know, we were clearly beaten at halftime and then managed to work our way back in the game. Yeah, the result didn't fall in our favour at the end, but just to see us, that ability to change there, I think has been really big. Uh, Simo, what have we got? What's the next one there? It's one I really, really rate, quick and simple. Um, so it's from uh, Shetsky. Um, I'm assuming, I think that might be from uh, from Twitter. Um, so boys beca- boys have become, become men. Um, and that, that goes to probably one of our favourite words which we use in pretty much every week of our podcast, and that's maturity. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely love that, that quote. I love that. Uh, next, we've got Paul Vine, who said, this year we play as a professional team and we're not playing for ourselves. 
they are playing as a group, not just one bloke trying to pull his team over the line, and it's the whole side doing so, and we're having fun whilst doing it. So, as you said, it talks about seeing the smiles and the laughs, and Quinn, I think you sort of mentioned before about just watching how much the boys are enjoying the wins, and I think, you know, see how how, how loudly the boys sung the song on Friday night after that hard-fought win, or even after the Sydney game, which, you know, they absolutely put left everything out there, and it was that contest wasn't decided up until the final siren there. It's uh, it's certainly something they're certainly enjoying their footy. I know that can make a huge impact um, on a playing group as well. I definitely love what you're saying there, Tim, because I actually noticed on the the TV how loud we were because the sound quality was actually nowhere near as good as what it normally is. So, um, yeah, seeing that joy was absolutely massive to see. Um, The next one comes from um, Hayley Bristow. Um, So in 2018, most times we were challenged, we fell away. And that's why we missed the top four, 100%. You know, there's there's things that kept creeping in, into that year where, um, you know, once once we did, you know, if the team's got a run on, we did struggle to, to make that adjustment. And I think the biggest difference between then and now is we can make the adjustment um, on field rather than waiting to a break. And then the last one we've got here is from Mark Pepo. He said, 2018 was a contested ball then spread. We had eight behind the ball, allowing us a greater chance to win a centre clearance stoppage or defend from halfback. So, yeah, talking about that diamond structure that was, uh, yeah, so often commented in by the media. Throw in a bit of frost ball for good measure and life was exciting. Uh, 2021, it's all about rock-solid defensive structure, slingshot from halfback and locking the forward line. The plan B, we actually have a plan B, is down the boundary stoppage after stoppage and get the outside spread or switch the wings where Langdon is the link man, which I think, yeah, some really spot-on points that he's made there. I think Frostball was, yeah, certainly something that was exciting. It wasn't wasn't the most talented kick, but it was, you know, gave a bit of unpredictability to the ball coming out of our back line there. It was a little bit sad to see him go, but, um, yeah, he hasn't done too much since he's moved to Hawthorne. And I think... Playing from half back and our forward, you know, our ball movement really begins from half back, and we sort of talked about how much centre clearances have been a bit of an issue for us, and I think teams have been reading our taps really well, but then they get sucked in into bombing it long, and then it just gets picked off by May or Lever, and then the ball just gets, as I said, slung shot from there and and moved pretty quickly into the forward half. So certainly some, uh, yeah, some pretty accurate descriptions there from our loyal listeners. From an external point of view, um, you know, when you think of the better Melbourne players, obviously Petrarca, Clayton Oliver, Max Gorn, um, and, you know, Cosy Picker, you look in the back line, you've got like May and Lever, like you mentioned. But from your perspective, I mean, it could be any one of those guys as well, but from your perspective, who would you say would be the most valuable player on Melbourne's list at the moment? It is so hard to, to pick one of those because they're all equally as important, I reckon, to our club. Um, but for me, um, once once Lever did, went down, we lost. Like I, I don't know if you've noticed when there was no crowd against the Dogs, but you notice how loud and where, how well he structures us up. So for me, um, if I was to pick out those those or the main players, it would be Jake Lever. Um, I think just his voice and what what he brings, um, you know, makes us that real defensive unit. And I think he just fits in perfectly with the way we play. Yeah, it is a hard one. There could be a pick of any of those. Uh, there's a fair few blokes there that certainly could be up for it. Probably somebody that hasn't had his best year to date, but I still think that at the end of the day, our skip Max Gorn, like at his best, and his ability to be able to impact, you know, the ball at the ruck, you know, taking <laughs> taking his own centre clearances and just running with the ball like a ruck rover, taking, you know, 
towering marks in the back half and saving our ass on a defensive end or even popping up forward and kicking a left foot snap in the forward pocket like he did against Brisbane on Friday night. I think Ad is most damaging because I think with, say for instance, he goes down, Jacko is an incredible insurance policy, but it's a lot of it's a lot of responsibility to shoulder. And I think, I mean, he's, he's the closest like-to-like that we have in terms of Ruckman and somebody else that can be as agile around the ground. And, and well, is certainly more agile than Max. But I just think where it all begins, I feel like that if, yeah, I feel like Gorney's our most valuable player. It could easily be track, um, who's also multifaceted as well too around the ground. Uh, it could easily be Oliver for his work in the contest. But I just think... From starting from scratch, I think Gorn, it's, it's, it starts with him. And I just feel that, yeah, if, if something was to happen to him, I feel like MVP is a big thing. It depends how you it depends how you read it. Is it somebody that has had the best individual season? Is it somebody that means the most to your team? I know it gets talked about in NBA a lot about how you adjudicate MVP. And I'm thinking about if it was a player that was no longer in your team, what would the whole left by that player look like? So, yeah, that's my take. I think that's the best way to look at it is if that player left, you know, who leaves the biggest hole? Because like you said, in the NBA, they talk about it a lot where it could be someone, I don't know, let's just say like Steph Curry, for example, and he might have a 55-point game and the Warriors still lose, for example. And it's like, well, he did that, but, you know, was he the most valuable because he still couldn't drag the team over the line? I mean, it's easy for this year for you boys because you're winning most of your games. But like you said, I think it's about who leaves that biggest hole. Um, and I'm curious to see, Marcus, who you'd think would be Melbourne's most valuable player from your point of view. You know, you and I obviously not being Melbourne supporters. Who would you think it is? Because I've got mine. I'm just curious to see what you'd think. Well, I was tossing up between um, between Max Gorn and, and Petrarca, but I just think, yeah, like Tim made a great point there. Like if Gorn goes down, then they're, 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 they could struggle in that department. And I think just the influence he has on games and um, and he's – his presence around the ground as well is, is huge. Um, so for me, I'd say Max Gorn and just and seeing him firsthand as well, when, especially when you when you're playing against him, you, 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 that's when you realise how good a player is when they're playing against your team and how much he dominates. And um, yeah, so for me, I'd say Max Gorn just over Petrarca. But um, geez, you could yeah, you could choose any of them. Yeah, see, I'm I'm going a different one. I'm going Stephen May. I mean, it's like you said, it's so hard you could pick any of them. But for me, I think Stephen May is a big one. Like Lever, him, they play similar roles in the sense they're both kind of generals back there. But I think May having that little bit more maturity off from what I'm seeing anyway, he sort of directs a lot of the backline players down there and all that. And I feel like yeah, if it, when he misses games, um, not that your your backline is left exposed, but you can definitely notice the difference when May's not there to take out that key forward. Like, you know, if they're against Richmond, you'll take Tom Lynch and presuming he probably takes Harry Mackay from Carlton as well, just as an example. So I noticed, I think when he's gone as well, at least, um, yeah, you d- definitely notice the difference there. Yeah, I think there's there's no argument about how, uh, yeah, how influential May's been on his games. And I think we're incredibly lucky to get him back as early as we did after that Geelong clash with that eye and just, you know, a freak accident like that. We're lucky that, we do have some pretty sound depth down back at the moment. And we've sort of seen that with Petty being able to sort of seamlessly slot in and fill Tomo's role at the moment. And again, you sort of feel devastated for Tomo and all the success that we're having this year at the moment. But yeah, he, he's just continually week after week, you know, you really, really see him get beaten um, and you really see him have an off game and you're right. You take him out of that side. It's not, not concerning because yeah, Lever's a great, uh, a great somebody else that's going to fill the gap there and, and, and obviously has, has equal voice in that back line. 
but even still, he's uh, there's no no question about the role and the impact that he has in that in our side and as a total. Now it could be the same player, but who would you say your favourite player is? Simo, I know you said you have a number thirty six. Uh, well, you were when you were a kid. Anyway, had a thirty six on your back, and Pickett's living up to that. But who would you say your favourite player is? I'll let you go first, Timmy. I got to think about this. Are we talking current favourite player or are we talking about player all time? Let, let's do both. Let's do both. Let's do, <laughs> yeah, a, current and both. An, an, uh, let's do a current and then an all-time because I'm curious to see who your all-time is as well. Oh, what? It's hard to go past Maxi. just I suppose. You know, I still remember that game against Geelong in was it 2015 where he just had an absolute blinder. It was almost his coming out party. He played a handful of games and just watching him sort of Knowing that he'd been around the system for what had been there, it's, yeah, about six years or so, and then I think Simo sort of talked about his growth and his progression, as is, as is now developed into this the leader of the club. And we asked Fitzy last week about you know drafted in the same year and and great mates, and said, do you did you ever foresee that this bloke, who was yeah obviously well documented, you know having a fag on the way to training and a bit of a jokester and maybe not taking it so seriously at the, at the start to see him being the captain of an AFL football club, uh, you know moving forward and he's just like yeah not a chance. So for me, I, I think yeah his his overall character and just his influence that he has on all the playing group, the way that the fans get around him and I just love everything that he does about that he goes around you know that everything that. He's all about the game, and I think he doesn't just affect it in one in one asset. He, he's he's completely got a very diverse range of skills, and and I think for me, just from a sporting point of view, I don't think that I think being multi-dimensional is uh, yeah so rare. And I don't he's a once in a generational player, and any team would love to have him. So I love watching him play, and yeah, you always get a smile when he kicks a goal or takes a big you know contested mark, whether it's down forward or down back, and. And then you watch some of his uh, his tap work when it when it works and when it's not read by opposition and it leads to a fast break goal or something like that. It's yeah, it's hard not to love. I'm going to stick it there in the moment. I'll, I'll think about the all time player and then see right. I come back to it. <laughs> well, uh, I've got a couple of mine, but I'll think about it. Uh, I've, I've spoken about it enough. Uh, yeah, I'd have to say Cosby Pickett just more so of what he brings and I suppose the excitement around him. Like oh, cause like no matter what like. Any like I know Tim, and I also got another close mate to play footy with. He's a D supporter, and whenever Cosy kicks a goal when they're playing, I always have to message both of you. So yeah, it'd have to be Cosy for now. Um, oh, gee, the old time favorite, I'll have to go with someone that um, I had a jumper of as well. Um, well, the current player would, would have been Harbin because I actually I used to have Nathan Jones's number on my on my back, knowing you know how much he drove you know, the Melbourne footy club and the fact that how much he did for the club too. So, um, yeah, he, he was quite close to me, but obviously, you know, when we've made the transition to being half decent, I had to, uh, yeah, I'd jump ship with Cozzy just because of how much he brings. Um, but as a, as a past player, I used to have his number as well. Um, Adam Uze. Um, and I, I, when, when he come back, when he come back to the club as a coach, I, I've been begging for it for years actually, because I wanted him to come back and just bring what he, bring his knowledge. Cause I knew what he was doing at Hawthorne was doing something pretty amazing. So, Having him back at the club has been really great to see. And, you know, just those freakish things he used to do, like, oh, and when the crowd would go, ooh, like it was, it was unreal. So, yeah, having that, you know, having that player to really look up to and those silky left, that silky left foot. I remember that goal against Freo, that was freakish. And even that goal against Eston early on, um, which funnily enough was actually the, the first time I've ever been on the MCG for the uh, 
Troy Brawbridge Memorial game in 20, 2005. So that was that was a memory I really hold deep. And, you know, I was right in front of uh, where all the odds kickers got to sit. So that was, uh, that was a very fond memory of him. It's hard to hard to think about sort of the players they grew up watching, but I think you know you had you had your Jimmy Steins, you had your David Neese, but I think Russell Robinson was somebody that you would go and that was super exciting to watch. Yeah, somebody that was always always good for a bag of goals, but his his leaps for goal and the goal squares and his ability to be able to kick a bag even if it was in the second half of the game. I think Queen's birthday, oh, what year was it, where he kicked a number um, in the second half and. He was just somebody that you can tell as a young supporter, it was somebody that you'd, you'd go to the footy to watch. And there's probably, you know, we talk about players that you want to go and watch live. And I think from a Melbourne perspective, you know, Cos is somebody that, that puts asses in seats that people want to go see. And, and it's, it's you know, completely, it's a whole different experience watching him live. And I think he was somebody that, like Aaron Davey at the time and like David Neitz and watching all these players that had a huge impact at that time uh, in a reasonably successful era for the Jays as well too. He was somebody that, you know, had a bit of flair about him. He's a bit of a smart ass, like wasn't afraid to, you know, have a bit of a chat to other players and just everything that was about. And then having having met him a couple of times sort of a few years ago and stuff at functions and that he still he still loves the club so much. And I think that that only further kind of enhances your your admiration for him and is certainly somebody that yeah you could easily sit back and, and get stuck down a YouTube hole watching highlights of his uh of his speckies in the goal square for sure. Oh, he was a he was a freak sometimes when it went down there and you saw him get up high. It was uh there weren't many that could do what he did. Um before I get to who I who are you go who you guys think would be most underrated player, I want to quickly ask about Nathan Jones. I know Simo just touched on him then. What's it like on what's the feeling behind him um sort of being in and out of the side? Obviously he's given so much to the club and all that. And then now that you guys are at that point where you're pretty successful, it's that it's that tough mix between, you know, do you wanna do you wanna give the fairy tale story and let him play every week or you know, you gotta be ruthless and if he's not in the best twenty two, he's not in the best twenty two. What are you are you guys um is it a good thing that you know you someone like Nathan Jones is struggling to get games because the talent pool is that much higher, or would you like to see him get games just to be nice, I guess, if that makes sense. This is a really good question um, because, well, obviously you saw him play his 300th game against the Tigers, and that was, you know, a pretty amazing, you know, memorable moment for him and, you know, what's going on during the moment. And obviously he's he's one that's you know, stuck fat with us during all these dark years and everything. So, you know, well, to be honest, when, you, when you're in a, a side that's doing so well, you can only you can put out the best 22 you've got. Um, because, I mean, you know, you, you put your best 22, which you think is going to get the job done each week in, week out. Not, you know, not just because, you know, you can't be gifting games, especially, you know, when you we are tracking quite well and you want to be having your best side out there each week. And, yeah, it, it's, it's a hard one because you can look at it both ways. There's, a, there's always going to be supporters that are thinking, oh, geez, like it'd be great seeing him just lapping it all up. But I think, to be honest, I think he is lapping it up because, you know, seeing of what he's done to now... You know, I think he's just really getting around the boys and just constantly, you know, he's obviously there. He's obviously, you know, putting in the effort just as much as our boy, uh, the boys playing. So, you know, there could be a time where he's called upon. So being ready um, is the best thing for him. Um, like, to be honest, it'd be great to see him be a part of the side. But, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, it is. It is difficult. I think... I think putting yourself in in Jonesy's shoes and sort of thinking about how he would be trying to process the whole situation. I mean, it would have been an interesting conversation. I think at the end of last year, when it came to contract talks about 
you know, where do we see you fitting in next year? Obviously, you know, his future was up in the air and there was this whole, I guess, narrative about him getting to 300 and sort of joining that elusive club, given that there's only one other player for Melbourne that's reached that number. I think, unfortunately, it was a bit, it was clear that after that game that he got dropped immediately, that they might have just been pushing him through. I know that for everything that the club means to him, I think he would hate to think that he was taking up someone else's spot if he truly believed that he didn't deserve it. I'm sure he's gutted that he's not playing the side at the moment, but at the same time, I think that he's always been a team first person. I mean, you know, captain of the club, multiple best and fairest winner. Uh, We know what the club means to him. And I think that the last thing that he would want is to feel like that he was, you know, potentially his position is not a detriment to somebody else on the side, but I think he would have complete faith in the coaching panel um, selection committee that, you know, as Simo said, said, like staying ready for when he's called upon, but you know what, there's a high chance that if we get to the finals and we're not, you know, we, we've got no injuries and stuff, there's a high chance he doesn't get inside. I don't think like we sort of talked about, you know, some of these younger players that have been switching in and out, there's probably two or three, or probably one or two positions that at the moment with Vin out that we've got sort of, you know, we've got your Sparrows in, like obviously Petty's in for Tomo, but there's a couple of players there that they're still, I think this, and the forward line obviously is still, they're still trying to work out the kinks, but I don't know whether like Melksham's a good one. I think we'll chat about this last week about who would you rather have in there, Cade Chandler or Jake Melksham. And I was just thinking, well, by experience, when it comes to finals time, absolutely I'd rather Jake Melksham in there um, just given the experience. And maybe that's a role that gets called upon him when it comes there. And I know his role has certainly changed. He's not the, you know, he's not the in and under player that he once was. And he's been tried across half back, half forward, trying to find a sort of a role for him. But I don't think he would feel like I don't think he would appreciate being gifted games uh, when it comes to that. And I think the club's done due diligence to get him to 300, but I think it's got to be played purely on merit in terms of like whether his spot in the side is required. And if not, um, he's just got to stick with it and, and yeah, see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, Nath Jones isn't an underrated player because you all know what he can bring to the club when he was at his best especially. But who would you say at the moment on the current list would um, be the most underrated player in your in your eyes? I think one bloke who was really on the fringe, and t- this is probably Tim's favourite player. I think. You've got a badge, don't you, Timmy? Definitely got a badge of him. Yeah, there he is. Um, a bloke that, yeah, I reckon he was on the outer last year. Um, if he didn't, so similar T-Mac, you know, these, like, he's one of those blokes that, yeah, if he didn't perform this year, I don't know where his career would go, and it's, you know, it's our number nine. You know, the number nine at the footy club runs deep. Obviously, you look at all more so from Neats. Obviously, Trenner's, you know, obviously tough run with injury and everything. But this bloke, Charlie Spargo, and I'm sure Tim will be able to talk a lot about him. But just the little things he does, just the one percenters, like you see a couple of knock-ons from the weekend. But his, in, his en- entries inside 50 are just so underrated, which you – Jimmy, as, as, as a non-Melbourne supporter, it would be really interesting to see or hear – um, what your thoughts are about Charlie Spargo because you probably think oh, the bloke's only getting like 12 disposals. Like, why is he in the side? Like, I'm sure they've got someone better, but you look at what he does with those 12 disposals and I'll tell you what, there'll be a few goals being kicked from that. I love what he does personally. I mean, uh, we played you guys the other week and um, yeah, he he was doing great things in that forward line, just his pressure. And um, yeah, he, he does the things that you a lot of people wouldn't notice and and that's what makes you, that's what makes your team tick and that's what makes 
makes good teams. So um, personally, I yeah, I definitely appreciate him from from an outside point of view. Um, and yeah, I think he's and yeah, a lot of my Melbourne friends say the same thing. They absolutely love him as well, and they find him one of the more underrated players in your team. So um, yeah, I, I reckon he's great. Yeah, to be honest, if you if you asked me last year, maybe the year before, about Spargo, I probably would have replied with who. So to see uh, to see what he's doing this year, I mean, you know, obviously unless you follow the club closely, sometimes you don't know these other players. But seeing what he's done this year, and like you said, he doesn't get a ton of disposals, but he doesn't need to. He's one of those players that can have an impact with limited amount of touches. And yeah, I love what he's, I love what he brings. And um, you know, he plays that style of footy that I really enjoy watching as well. So I can, I definitely agree with you probably being one of the more underrated players at Melbourne. And I mean, it's easy to be underrated when you're shadowed by some of the talent that you guys have, like, you know, Gorn Petrarca, Oliver, et cetera. So definitely see why he'd be underrated, but he's also, yeah, a freak of a talent. He certainly is. I think have a segment on ours that we, yeah, award the player that has the most underrated performance and somebody that doesn't necessarily get the limelight. And that was the overwhelming response. So our Charlie Sparger award each week goes to the underrated performance uh, for the D's each week. And yeah, he's somebody that was easily targeted in the last couple of years. He had a huge role to play in 2018 and sort of burst onto the scene. Uh, yeah. And having a huge impact then, and then really kind of fell off and was in and out of the side. Wasn't quite sure whether, whether he was going to sort of stick with it or not, or whether he would find a role. But yeah, this season is just, yeah, the epitome of, I suppose, executing your role and, and our role players and, and somebody that is, yeah, is crucial to our team and just the small little things that he does, as Marcus sort of said, it's just the little things. It's the chase down tackles. It's the tap-ons. It's, uh, I mean, his footy IQ, I think, is, is through the roof. I think that his ball use is, is pretty outstanding. I think what he what he does going inside 50 and, and then the full pressure that he brings as well to it. And I think, you know, I think A and B, like Alex Neil Bullen, is somebody that also is, is has elevated his status into that area as well too. Somebody else has been has gone from being fringe player to now required player, and and is in no danger of losing his side as well too, uh, losing his spot in the side uh, with everybody just performing as a cohesive unit. And yeah, each each player there is is certainly required and. And Spargo is certainly somebody that I know that the fans have all warmed to now and has become a little bit of a cult hero, but it's just those little things. And, and the fact that you see players go to him after a knock-on, after a chase-down tackle, after you know just a really small 1% of play, you know they go and celebrate that. I mean, you know that hearing in and around the coaches, they all celebrate that within the four walls of the club as well too. So it's not just... You know, we talk about him being underrated, but I feel like that within the club, he would be very highly rated for for his work, as as is every member of that club as well too. Yeah, spot on. I think I can't fault anything you said there about him. It seems to be uh, seems to be the man at the moment from in um, Melbourne that probably isn't getting the limelight outside of the club, but within the four walls, like you said, is definitely getting that sort of recognition. Um, Simo, you called for it earlier before I think we started recording that you, you wanted to run through our rapid fire questions, which are known as the, uh, the pressure cooker. You, you've called for it. So uh, if you guys don't mind, we'll probably, uh, we'll probably run you through a few quick questions, just easy ones, just, you know, off the top of your heads. Um, so I don't know if you want to keep this one off, Marcus. I know you normally do. I don't want to take that away from you. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. I'll, I'll kick this one off, mate. We'll, uh, we'll go in the usual order. If you could delist any player in your team, who would it be? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Joel Smith. Ben Brown. Ooh, Ooh Ben Brown, controversial. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well then, on the other hand, and I know there's not many gaps in your list at the moment, but if you could add one player from another list, who would it be? The Bond. 
have to go forward, I reckon. I reckon there's a sneaky, like a Harry McKay or someone. Or... You're always on the market. What if our guests have said Harry? <laughs> um, <laughs> shit. Uh, I'd go for... Oh, fuck. Something here. <laughs> 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 so it's a pressure cooker. Yeah, it is. <laughs> need a time limit. Bloody ridiculous. Uh, oh, let's go with a little bit more class and uh on the outside and let's go what name jack mccray yeah oh yeah we, yeah which team do you love beating the most hawthorne Fuck Col- collingwood definitely yeah i love beating both those sides so definitely on board <laughs> with that one and then the last one and this is the most important question you're going to be quick and no time to muck around with this one here who's your favorite pressure point co-host I'd have to say, unfortunately, I'd have to say Quinn more so because of the little connection we have sharing the same jersey. We touched on pre, pre, uh, pre-chat. pre yeah. Oh, well, no, that's fair. <laughs> I'll go for Marcus because I'm enjoying that he's got, he's the only person without a pressure point background in his, uh, in his Zoom window there. So <laughs> he's not conforming to society there. <laughs> I missed the memo with that one, that's for sure. <laughs> Beautiful. There you go. I think the uh, we're running a bit of a tally this year to see who gets the most votes for the, mo- the favourite pressure point co-host. I think Marcus might just be up one at the moment. So I think yeah. with that effort. So you had a fair lead at, at the start too as, as well. I did. See, what Marcus decided to do was go behind my back and get people that weren't coming on as guests <laughs> to tell them who his favourite was. So he's put himself up on the list doing it that way. But it's so you've got to get creative. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. It's all good. Well, guys, this is this has been fantastic. It's been um, something different for us. Obviously, like you said, we've never done a collaborative episode before, but it's uh, been different as well. Talking about a team that neither Marcus or I support, but you know, obviously flying at the moment. So there's plenty to talk about, and uh, the insight that you guys have for your club, you know, it just shows what how you're able to do a podcast like this and keep it running and you know make it so successful because you know so much about the boys and you obviously share so much passion for it. So thank you for doing this with us. It re- it's you know means a lot. Ah, it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks to you both. It's been something brand new for for both of us as well too. But I think it's good to you know broaden our horizons a little bit in that sense. And it's it's nice to yeah have an external point of view as well too. It's it can be pretty easy to be pretty one eyed when you're talking about that, and you don't always get the external point of view as well too. So thanks for putting up with our shit today in terms of just talking about the D's. I'm sure you know you guys obviously spend a bit more time covering other sides as well alongside your own sides as well. But no, really appreciate it and yeah really good fun and hope to do it again as well yeah like you said like you said as well tim hopefully we can do something like this again as well especially you know heading towards finals time could do something like a finals episode and pump it up for you boys if you're still sitting pretty on top of the ladder as well i'm sure you guys would be pretty keen to do that so we'll definitely do something heading forward into the future Absolutely. I think, yeah, and it'd probably be good for us and, and give it a bit of a change up and we don't have to always talk about the days as well too. It'd be <laughs> good to talk about where your two boys and your sides are sitting at as well too. And, and Marcus, hopefully something comes of this external review and you get a bit of clarity about where your clubs are going in this direction. Do you think anyone, does, it, does anyone survive the fall out there, do you reckon? Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of assistant coaches under the pump or, I mean, there's already one that's that's fallen off. Um, so I think that's it. And it wouldn't surprise me if Teague uh, was shown the door as well, but I hope that doesn't happen right now. But, I mean, we'll see how the next month plays out in terms of results. But, yeah, it wouldn't nothing's going to surprise me, to be honest, of what comes out of it. Yeah, no, that sounds good. And Quinn, hopefully it doesn't take another five years for us to actually make contact with her. <laughs> after funny talking about about how me and Quinn met was, yeah, about six years ago or five years ago 
out on a Bucks party in in Cairns at, at good old Gilligan's, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that that are very very aware of Gilligan's in uh, in Cairns and. New sponsor you would see in our, <laughs> in, our, in our podcast for the week. Um, we've actually got Hop End Brewing um, on board as a sponsor. I saw you guys had some nice sponsors there too. I think it's you know really good to value um, local businesses, obviously, during this time. So getting a little shout out to Hop End Brewing. We've both actually been sipping on one during the uh, during the podcast. So I've just had a Mango Tango Sour. Um, quite a nice beer, actually. Yeah, if you got a if you go down to Dan Murphy's, give it a give it a nice little whirl if you like your craft beers. I was about to say, as soon as this lockdown ends, it would be a good idea to, to all catch up and have a few hot pen brews while we're at it. So, uh, no, definitely, but you beat me to the punchline there with the hot pen brew. Congratulations, by the way. Like you said, such a big thing. And when small podcasts like ourselves are trying to grow, it's such an amazing thing to have sponsors jump on and help support us. Yeah, seriously, boys, once again, like I said before, I really appreciate you jumping on with us and uh, sharing the Melbourne story thus far. Obviously, there's a long way to go in the season, but the way you guys are sitting at the moment, it's looking like things won't change too dramatically before now and the end of the year. Fingers crossed for that. And yeah, so it looks like that outros are your thing and intros aren't. Is that is that the go now? So you're good yeah. at outros, but not intros? No, it depends what I've got planned <laughs> afterwards. You know, if I get to get somewhere quickly, the outro can be pretty quick. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, what, we're bloody running on what nearly an hour and a half now. So that's, yeah, it's pretty solid. <laughs> that's it. I did say we'd probably get carried away talking yeah. footy. It's an easy thing to do once uh, football gets brought up. So no, it's, it like I said, though, it's been uh, it's been a great fun. So That has. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Appreciate boys. It, and uh, yeah, take care. And yeah, definitely let's catch up for a couple of beers uh, once all this shit goes down as well, too. Absolutely. All right, Thanks, boys. boys. See you Cheers. later.